give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Welcome, everybody, to episode 27 of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I'm your host and fellow Metallica fan. My name is Brandon. On this episode, I'm joined by a first-time guest. Uh, she is a woman who wears many different hats, radio DJ, music journalist, musician. Anne Erickson, welcome to Metallicast. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I love all your tweets, and I love Metallica. As you can tell, I love those um, the monday metallica mondays and everything so yeah that's a great feature that they uh are doing for the fans especially since so many of us are you know sheltered in and trying to do our thing at home right now with everything going on in the world i know it's so great i look forward to every monday and it's cool seeing shows from so many years ago yeah awesome to see the different kind of places that they were in their career i know they have so many different stages and phases you know as any artist really does after a 30 plus year career but it i agree with you it, it's always i like that you don't know till the day of you know it gives you something to look forward to you know that like that morning they're going to announce uh what the show is and then you have all day to like look up the set list or you know <laughs> be surprised if you just want to watch it live and enjoy it. So, but of course I'm a Metallica nerd. So I always look up the sellers, like, Oh, what did they do on this show? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they really have picked a broad range because yeah. a few weeks ago they had that show from 1991 in Muskegon, Michigan. And right. I was here in Michigan. I thought Muskegon, Michigan, this is so wild. <laughs> because you know, I didn't yeah. see, like the big festival. Yeah. Shows. I think that maybe they posted a download or something like that. One of the big yeah. ones. And then, suddenly just a random show it's so neat to see that range yeah that was the cool part too about the black album tours that they played i think every place that would have them in america so you know they did all <laughs> of course like the major markets like new york city but then all like the quote you know b cities and then c cities and then d cities you know like I'm, <laughs> i grew up in new england so i know they played like a a couple places like I think they played Amherst, Massachusetts. Like you don't wow. have any major bands coming through Amherst, Massachusetts, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was them at their peak. So uh, in terms of, you know, popularity and, uh, and everything. So th that was really cool to see. Uh, so to back up a little bit, uh, I want to start off by asking you a question that I ask pretty much all my first time guests, just what is your, uh, Metallica story? Um, do you remember like when you first heard the band and got into their music? Yeah, for me, it was when I first got into radio, I was at a station that we didn't really play Metallica. It was a pretty heavy station, but we played more quote unquote active rock bands like Seether, Shine right. Down, bands like that. But our sister station had mandatory Metallica every night. Nice. And I just remember hearing it in the studio, hearing this mandatory Metallica and just being like, this music is amazing. <laughs> and I, especially, you know, for a band that can just rock out really hard and get really thrashy and then also do like nothing else matters, like do something more quality yeah. and beautiful. I just grew like a deep respect for them. And I've seen them on tour a few times now. I saw them, gosh, they were on tour. I'm sure that you know all the tours they've been on, but they were on tour with Godsmack probably back in mid 2000s. I want to say. Yeah, that was probably um, like 03, 04, maybe 05. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. 
that was my first time seeing them and they were incredible of course um it was right around when some kind of monster came out right yeah yeah so and i watched that documentary and that was one of the first like real music documentaries i watched actually yeah and i really enjoyed that too it was so real and honest and just showed an interesting side to these guys to these heavy metal you know dudes and everything <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that movie really showed them warts and all you know it's i right. I, I know that there is a a legion of people out there that you know they were easy targets from that movie you know especially from like a lot of the macho metalheads and stuff but uh uh i i think <laughs> i thought it took i mean obviously i'm a little bit biased i host a metallica podcast but i thought <laughs> it was pretty brave of them to put it out there kind of the good the bad and the ugly and show all those different sides of them when they were kind of at their lowest point as a band right i think that's a great point and I remember having to travel to see the documentary in a movie theater, yeah. but I also remember at that time, I could be wrong on this, but not many bands were doing that sort of thing where they had a documentary one night premiere at an actual theater. Yeah. And so that was really awesome too, to actually go to a theater and, you know, see it on the big screen. And then I saw <laughs> a bunch of other bands doing kind of the same thing, but. Right. So yeah, that's really how I got introduced to Metallica. So you mentioned, uh, I already mentioned, you know, you're, you wear a lot of different hats and I mentioned one of the, one of the things you do is you're a radio DJ, just talking a little bit about hearing them in the studio and how the sister station, uh, you know, plays mandatory Metallica. So tell us uh, a little bit about that part of your career. I, I want to get into like kind of all the little parts because I feel like you, you got a lot on your plate that you do, but. I know I do a lot of random things. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, okay, I think I have too many projects. But um, so I'm a radio DJ. I also write about music. So, you know, those are two things. I got into radio because I love rock and metal music so much. And just being on the radio, talking about it, playing the music, I just fell in love with it. Yeah. And I mean, there's just nothing. I mean, you probably feel that way with podcasting. Yeah. Right? You probably just love it. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely um, a hobby of mine that has intensified over like the last couple of years of me doing this. And I, I find it's a great way to just connect and meet with uh, new people, you know, through the podcast and through uh, the Metallicast Twitter and all that, just meeting other fans and uh, other people like yourself. Like, I we would have never probably crossed paths otherwise, you know, so it's a cool uh it's a it's a it's a cool excuse to just have a good conversations with like-minded people <laughs> right yeah and i feel that way about radio i mean i fell in love with it because of just what it is actually doing it and talking on the radio about your favorite bands and playing great music but also the people i've met so many great friends over the years and most of my friends are i mean not all of them i have some <laughs> normal people friends <laughs> <laughs> But like most of my friends, I met through radio, even if they're not in radio. Yeah. Well, it's such a, you know, small circle of people in your world uh, who do radio and, and uh, to a slightly, it's a slightly bigger circle, but still small of us like metal, hard rock, rock fans. And I feel like we all sort of gravitate towards each other. You know, if you, if, if you're, if you're walking down the street and, uh, and somebody sees me wearing a Metallica shirt, the amount of times I've 
been told, hey, cool shirt. Oh, hey, man, Metallica. You know, like the, as soon as you see like a, a T-shirt of a band that you like or somebody who, you know, mm-hmm. has the long hair and the whole look down, you're like, all right, he's he's one of us. She's one of us. <laughs> right. No, it's so funny because I mentioned that the other the other day, actually, to someone. I was at the eye doctor when we were allowed to be at the eye doctor. <laughs> this is before yeah. the quarantine and everything. And a whole other life ago. Right, right. It was like a whole three months ago and three lifetimes ago. But um, <laughs> and I had my mastodon hoodie on, and yeah. this guy's like, "Love your hoodie," and it was just you know we started talking about music, and yeah. there is something really cool about that bond, and that's something that I miss about shows right now. Yeah, just not, you know because when you go to a concert of a band like Metallica or just any band, I mean you guys most people there like that band, you have that bond. And especially in hard rock and heavy metal music, it's like a, a tight community. Yeah. So even if you don't know each other at a show, like it feels like you're getting to know each other, you meet people. And I miss exactly. that. Yeah, I know. I was just talking, I was actually just having this conversation with my wife the other day, like, you know, who knows when we're going to have concerts again, first of all. And then second of all, if there is a concert, are you really confident enough where you want to go to it? And then third of all, if you go to it, like, you know, when I go to a Metallica show, I am, uh, especially if I have a, uh, a couple beers in me, I'm high-fiving everybody. And <laughs> before, before I know it, I'm ending the show with arms around total strangers, screaming every word, you know, <laughs> and it's like, I, but at this day and age, uh, you know, with everything that's transpired last few months, I'm like, I don't see myself doing any of that anytime soon. And that sucks, you know? I know. It's a different world. And I've, you know, I've interviewed a few musicians since this happened. And I've talked to some people. And I'm sure you have, too, talked to different people in the yeah. music world. It's just, it's so hard because you keep hearing that date of maybe fall 2021, or even later when it comes to big shows. But then you have people who say, oh no, it's gonna be, it'll be sooner for small shows. Just no one knows. No one has any idea. And you're right, when the shows do come back, personally, I think I would rather wait for it to be to the point where when I do go to a show, I can high five someone versus, okay, we're gonna have a show, but we all have to be in separate vehicles, parked like six (laughs) feet apart. You know, it's, I mean, I appreciate that it's, but man. I mean, at a certain point, you have you take away what is great about a live show. So if you cannot have all of it, you're like, maybe I just, you know, watch the show on YouTube or something instead. Right, right. <laughs> Metallica Mondays. Right, exactly. <laughs> I was actually just reading the other day. Um, I'm not a, a a pretty cool thing that uh, Suicide Silence is doing, where I'm not sure if you heard about this. They're doing like a virtual tour. Yeah, I did hear about that. And I thought, yeah, yeah, I thought the concept was such a cool idea. Uh, If I'm understanding it correctly, they're basically doing like multi, they're playing live shows with no audience, filming it with multi cameras and all that. And, but they're calling it a tour because they're going to have different, uh, shows for different cities for different towns with different mm-hmm. set lists and you're going to need like a special code to for proof that you're from you know that region and it, it seems like a really cool idea I'm, and i'm hoping that it's very successful because then that means maybe you know other bands can come along and do something similar so we can sort of get our live music fix through that and that would be such yeah. a 
great help for bands and stuff right now because they're taking a massive hit not being able to play yeah. live shows. Yeah, absolutely. And I was actually thinking when shows do start up again, I keep hearing that possibly smaller venues would open, you know, before like a big, huge arena. And I'm wondering if yeah. a band like Metallica would be, would suddenly go back to playing clubs and theaters for a little while, but then you wonder how right. much the tickets would be. Yeah. I mean, they've done things like that for special occasions, you know, whether it be, um, like a their 30th anniversary or uh, like a when Hardwired was released, they did a handful of club dates or if it's like a special, you know, radio sponsored thing or something, you know, for kind of special occasions. But it'd be like you said, the, the tickets are either like you're a contest winner and you go. Right. Or you're probably paying a, a hefty price, at least on like the secondary market. Even the band's not charging that themselves, you know, like right. what? what they might charge 50 bucks for on StubHub or whatever else you're probably spending 500 or more on. So <laughs> right. yeah, something they could do actually would be um have people donate to their charity or do something for their charity and yeah. make it like a raffle that if you donate a certain 25 bucks or something to their charity, and then they pick a certain amount of people from that market, just a thought if Metallic is listening you can do that. <laughs> That'd be really cool. And if they are listening, hey, come on the show and we'll both talk to you. Come on, James. <laughs> James, are you out there? Sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, it'll be I, I was just saying to somebody recently, it's uh if there's one there's a lot of negative about what's going on right now, obviously, but if if there's one positive, it's sort of uh forcing people to be really creative and original in how they do things, whether it be, um, you know, creating music or, or really just creating like any content. Um, you know, it's making, it's forcing people to kind of come up with new things, which you, which I feel like is hard to do in this day and age. And it's not something you see a lot of necessarily. So that part of it, I feel like has been pretty positive for um, a lot of different communities, but uh, including, the rock community. Yeah, I see a lot of bands doing those at-home sessions with different band members in their own homes and posting acoustic versions of songs. And yeah, right, they're definitely having artists are definitely having to be really creative and maybe try things that they would have tried down the road. It's kind of fast-forwarding this need to rely on technology. I mean, even for something like getting your groceries. A lot of people right. are grocery delivery who never used to. It's just kind of fast forwarding everything. So musicians are having to learn to do stuff online more. Yeah. And they're if they're a little bit behind, they're they they're being forced to catch up really quick. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just hope that when music does when live music comes back that people are, you know, that that people are so excited to be at that show. Yeah. That is just such a positive feeling and a positive thing. Whatever. Nice if it was a point where everyone felt it was safe to go, you know? Yeah, definitely. I, I agree. Whatever there's the first mass gathering, whether it be a sports game or a concert, I feel like it's going to be like a very emotional experience for um, a lot of people, you know? Yeah. I mean, I feel like it, we're all in a science fiction film or something. Almost <laughs> doesn't seem real. Once in a while, I wake up 
and I think maybe this isn't real. <laughs> maybe this is maybe I'll wake up one day and it'll just all have been a dream, you know. <laughs> I know, and it's uh, it's funny, like you in metal, especially. There's so many songs from various bands about you know global pandemics and the apocalypse and the <laughs> end of times, and you're like, oh, this is too relatable now. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> it was it was like a sci-fi. So yeah, it was a sci-fi dystopian look at the future, and now <laughs> it's reality. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> so you mentioned before, you know, you've had the opportunity to interview a lot of different artists, and are, are there any that stand out to you as like a, a personal favorite for one reason? I'm sure there's. I, I mean, just from looking briefly at what you've done online, there's tons of them. Um, but is there any that really stand out to you as a personal favorite, either because you thought wow, that was a really great interview, like for a professional reason or something that just personally for you was super cool to do? Well, um, it's appropriate for Metallica podcast. <laughs> one of my favorites was actually um, Kirk Hammett when right. Orion was happening. Remember yeah. Orion oh, yeah. when it was in Detroit and it wasn't in person or anything. It was on the phone and I only yeah. got five minutes. Oh, wow. Five minutes. Yeah. Wow. So... <laughs> And it was kind of a while ago. You probably remember when Orion was. Was it seven years ago, maybe? Um, oh, I'd have to look it up. It was, I, I forget offhand, but I want to say it was probably, you know, late 2000s, like maybe 08 or around there. Well, but I could, be, I could be making <laughs> that up. I'm going to look real quick right I now. Google it, yeah. <laughs> but, um, so yeah I, I have this Google machine in front of me now. <laughs> I got five minutes with him and I was so excited because not only obviously am I a Metallica fan, I think he's just an amazing guitarist and everything, but, um, yeah. you know, it was finally someone who almost anyone would know who that was <laughs> because up until then, <laughs> even if it was a big artist and I thought, like, Oh, this is, this is great. This is a, they've had number one rock hits, you know, they're really great. There would be a lot of people who just would have never heard of the band. Yeah. Finally with Metallica, everyone except my dad had heard of Metallica. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> True story. <laughs> Does he know who Metallica is now at least? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. No. He you knows give him a crash course after that. <laughs> and he knows Tool, actually, which is very oh. because a while back he um out of nowhere he was like, Yeah, Anne, I know who Tool is because of you. And I thought, well, that's nice. <laughs> He likes the platters, like he's old school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The first, uh, by the way, the first Orion was in 2012, and the next one okay. was in 2013. Okay, so it was the 13 that I was um, that I went to. I only went to the first night. I wasn't feeling it the second night, and that's when Metallica played a few songs as like a a surprise band. Right. Yeah, the they... Under a fake band name, and then surprise. Yeah. Yeah, they did like the small stage, I think like mid afternoon. Right, exactly. Yeah. That was a great festival. But um, but yeah, so Kirk so Kirk, he was one of my favorite um interviews, definitely, even though I only got him for five minutes. He was very nice, very soft spoken. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because people ask me this question a lot and I feel like I always give different answers because I always remember, <laughs> you know, a different one. Yeah. But um uh, Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins, that was an mm -hmm. in person. And that was really cool. I went to the Palace, which is a venue out in Detroit, did the interview, and he was 
so nice. The whole band was there. And he was like, hey, do you want to stay for soundcheck and just sit on, you know, just hang out or whatever. And so it was just very nice. I sat on the stage for soundcheck and I felt like I was being serenaded by Billy Corgan. <laughs> That's awesome. And, yeah. So that was, that was a really cool experience because the whole place was empty, the arena, and I'll never forget that. So yeah. that was a big one. Man, it's so hard because, oh, man, I'm trying to think of more. There are, there are so many and I'm always excited, you know, for whoever I'm interviewing. Right. Are there any, now I'm not looking for like THZ gossip here. No need to name names. But are there any just like ones that were like, wow, this person is like ridiculous. Like, do you have any stories of, of like that on the other end of things where <laughs> this person's a nightmare? Get me out of here. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny because one of my earlier, one of my first interviews was with a band that, um, that yeah, the guy was just real arrogant acting and they weren't a big band, but I yeah. forget the name of the band, which I remembered it for a good five years after it happened. <laughs> so that's not very helpful to your podcast audience. There was a band. <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps it's but, better left that way anyways, right. you know? <laughs> I mean, honestly, like you'd be, you know, it's, it's surprising because when I first started interviewing musicians, people were like, oh man, it's going to be rough they're gonna be they're gonna treat you different because you're a woman or this or that and for the most part i mean of course there are exceptions but for the most part everyone's been real professional yeah. people have yeah. been really well spoken they um they always have really great stories to tell very intelligent just i've had really good interviews for the most part i mean once in a while you get someone who's wasted but that yeah. hasn't happened for a long time <laughs> i'm happy to say <laughs> That's good. Uh, it may be a different story if you're interviewing them in quarantine, though. I know my uh, <laughs> my alcohol intake has increased over the last. <laughs> couple ever, of I mean, my uh, my treat intake has increased. Yeah, I mean, yes. I swear, I go through little debbies like nothing these days. <laughs> <laughs> There's worse things to go through, you know. <laughs> so, in addition to that part of it all, uh, you are. You also write for different publications sometimes as well, right? Yep, yep. I write for different pubs, and then I have my own band, too. Yes, um, which was going to be my uh, – <laughs> that's a perfect segue to where I was going. So uh, you are a musician yourself, a vocalist. And you are, too. You're I am. Player. Yes, and you are a fellow bass player. Uh, yes, which is what that connection. Yes, which is what uh, – drew me to be like, hey, come on my podcast. <laughs> and then uh, it was an instant yes. So <laughs> it worked yeah, out perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about your band, uh, Upon Wings. Uh, is this a, well, I'll, I'll let you take the lead. So with Upon Wings, like I grew up um, singing opera and stuff like that. And I actually didn't even hear a rock track until I was, well into high school because it's just nothing my parents ever played. We always listened to musical theater and opera and stuff like that. Right. So I was trained from when I was a little kid in classical singing and I had this opera voice. And then I heard rock and I thought, Oh my gosh, I love this so much. This rock and metal music. I just, I fell in love with it and I've been obsessed yeah. with it ever since, but I thought I could never sing in a rock band because I just don't have 
that voice. I'm not a Joan Jett or one of those belty kind of women. So I was always kind of sad that, oh, I could never do any music in the rock world. And then I saw Iron Maiden in concert and Bruce had this operatic voice and I could not believe it. I was, I was in shock. <laughs> I, you know, I was just completely in shock. Here's an operatic vocalist with a metal band behind him. And then same with like Judas Priest and Rob Halford and then eventually Nightwish. Yes. Um, so after that, I thought, you know what? I would love to start my own band. And I named it Upon Wings after many different Google, Google searches to make sure that it wasn't taken <laughs> like that, um, which I was surprised it wasn't taken, but this was a good eight years ago or something. Right. And um, yeah, so that's my band, Upon Wings. And I record with the different musicians and we release different stuff. So we've had a few singles that have done pretty well on rock radio, like Afterlife and You Are My Weapon. You can look those up on YouTube. Excellent. And I don't play bass in it. Usually I just sing. You play yeah, bass and yeah. sing at the same time because that is very difficult. I Sorry. used to have the coronation down back in the day, but it's been many years since I've done double duty. So I'd be interested <laughs> to see if I could pick it back up again. But it it's could. it's not it's not easy. And I definitely, that's why I'm always in awe of somebody like James Heffield who is playing a lot of these complex riffs and singing over it. And he's doing all the downstrokes on the guitar. And I'm just like, you son of a bitch. How do you do this? <laughs> I know. I know. And I feel like playing bass and singing at the same time is not intuitive. A lot of times the bass lines are the opposite of like what you're singing with the melody and everything. So right. Exactly. So when I see bass players who sing, I'm just, yeah, I'm blown away by that <laughs> when they're fronting their band and they're doing all the bass lines and everything. Well, it, um, it definitely yeah. makes sure if you're listening to check out Upon Wings that, you know, there's a lot of crossover between classical and metal. Sometimes it's not so obvious to somebody who's not familiar perhaps with either genre. There is a lot of crossover, whether it be vocally or even uh musically but yeah there's so much and, and now and now too especially with all the subgenres you know there's symphonic metal and it's right. just i think there's so many subgenres that have moved even more in that direction so i think this is kind of like a, a great timing for you within the last decade to bring that project into existence thank you i totally agree because when i heard that rock music and grunge music and hard rock you know, that was my first impression of heavy music, which is why I did not yeah. think to sing it. But then when I heard metal, that was a different ball game. And instantly I thought, wait a sec, this sounds kind of familiar. It does kind of sound like it could be classical. Right. And I agree that they, the two obviously, you know, share a lot. Oh, and we just released a new song today too, which basically because of um, coronavirus and everything, I've been hearing Amazing Grace a lot. Yeah, And I wanted to record a version with Pine Wings because it just seemed appropriate. We have some stuff that we're going to release, but it just had nothing to do. Like, it, it just seemed like a weird time to release something yeah, that yeah, had yeah. nothing to do with the current situation. <laughs> so, so that was today. We released a video for Amazing Grace. So you, are, you, you said you've sort of had like a rotating group of musicians around you. Do you have, is it you know, per album, per song, do you kind of just pull in who's available or do you have like a, like a, 
uh, a regular lineup right now that's working with you? It's kind of, um, I, I use the same people because they're so wonderful and they're so yeah. talented. So one of the guys, Kevin Jardine, he lives in Canada and he was in a band called Slaves on Dope. I don't know if you remember that band. Oh yeah. yeah. You remember them? Yeah. I do. So, he's so, his guitar playing, he's so killer. He's just a great guitarist. So uh, I use him a lot. And then Corey Lowry is in Seether now. He's a guitarist at Seether. Yeah. He's another one that I go to. And Brett Hetzla, he's done some. So, I mean, it's the same people, just song for song. I don't want to overwhelm them by asking them all to do <laughs> all of the songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I and, <divide> it up. <laughs> and are you the, do you all contribute to the songwriting or is, does that come from you and you sort of share it with the band? Well, they write the music for the most, the instrumentals, I should say. And then I write the melodies and the lyrics, the singing, okay. the vocal melodies. And you said that growing up, you know, you obviously were uh, training class school. Was that formal training? I'm, um, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, I took voice lessons from when I was a really little kid all the way through even college. I trained in college for singing, and I wanted to do it, but then it was one of those things. How do I put it? I loved singing, and I wanted to do it, but I wasn't sure if. I wanted to just pursue it as my day job. Right. Because it seemed a little chancy in Michigan. <laughs> 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 Where I've been based for a lot of my life. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had a question and don't you hate that when you're you, when it's right there and then it I know, escapes I you. Know. I probably talked too long. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. Um, I can ask you a question. Who's your favorite yeah. Metallica bassist? Ooh, I that that was an upcoming question for you. Let's jump right in. Really? Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, I it might be the obvious choice, but I have to go with Cliff Burden. Uh, he is uh, sort of the one that convinced me to pick up the bass. So when I was wow. in when I was in high school. Um, I really wanted to play guitar. I, I grew up taking piano lessons and I, but in middle school, you know, my interest went towards rock, hard rock metal. And by the time I got to high school, I was like, I want to be a guitarist. Uh, I had a good friend who already played guitar and uh, he knew somebody who played drums. Who's now, I did not know him at the time. And now he's one of my best friends to this day. And uh, he's like, we need a bassist. So you play bass. And I was like, no, I want to play guitar. He's like, play bass. I already play guitar. We need, we need a bass player, learn how to play bass. So I was like, uh, kind of on the fence. And then, you know, I, I, I kind of revisited the classic Metallica albums and I was like, and, and Clipburn was sort of my, uh, go-to inspiration of like, all right. Cause he's to me is the pinnacle of, uh, a metal bass player. Of course, there's other influences, Geezer Butler for me and Steve Harris. And, uh, but he, he was sort of like, you, you hear anesthesia pulling teeth or the solo and Orion or any kind of various bass lines through, through those first three albums. And yeah, he's definitely my choice. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. That's so, that's great that he kind of inspired you too, because for me, when I first, 
gravitated to the bass. I have to say I took inspiration from easy bass lines <laughs> because I could play them. <laughs> and and then I started getting into like Les Claypool and Primus and I thought I could never play this, but I really like it. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite Metallica bassist? You know, I, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, the top three <laughs> for me, obviously. <laughs> and it's, it's honest, it's really hard, isn't it? Yes. Because they all bring something unique. I mean, I think Cliff would probably be everyone's favorite. I mean, he was he was a legend. He kind of created that metal based sound, you know, the electric bass and metal music. Um, so I mean, I, I guess he'd be my favorite, but I really like Jason and I really like Robert too. I mean yeah. when Robert joined the band. It's hard because you know you love Jason so much. I, I just I loved Jason, but I was happy that they brought a guy with a really good aura. He just had a really good aura and a great stage presence too. Right. So I just think that all of the different bass players bring something. Yeah, I totally agree with you, and I and I feel like they sort of all were the perfect person for that time in the bands. Like I cannot picture. Anybody but Cliff Burton playing the first three Metallic albums, but I cannot picture anybody but Jason Newstead being on the Black album. And mm -hmm. it's hard to picture Robert Trujillo never being in the band and playing on, you know, Hardwired to Self Destruct and whatnot and, and being on tour with them. I just, it, it's interesting to me because the stylistic change from the band between kind of the Cliff Burton era and the Jason Newstead era are so different, but so is their bass playing, uh, you know, where. Cliff was all fingers and Jason was more pick and it, it and mm -hmm. it, like his style just fit a lot better. I think than uh, with those more quote um, commercial songs of the black Elm or load or reload or what have you. Right. That's a good point. You play with a pick. Uh, I was always a finger guy myself. Me too. I can't, I have never been able to use a pick. I don't know why. But, um, <laughs> it, it just, I, I like the sound of a pick on a bass because you get like a big meaty fat sound out of it. But it, for me, I, it just, it, because I probably, because Cliff Burton was my guy and other people I'm into, like, you know, Giza Butler, like when you see them play, they're just always, it's, you always see those two fingers moving or in the case yeah. of Cliff, the all five fingers moving. And uh, right. that's always, you know, the style I gravitated more towards. Me too. And, for me, I gravitated to bass because when I started, I thought, well, I sing, I want an instrument and pianos don't even try learning piano. I mean, I shouldn't say that. I should, you know, that one, I was like, maybe I can learn piano. And then I thought, no, I can do that a little, unless I'm, you know, like just starting out. And so I picked up guitar and it was really hard for me. We had that pick and I kept muting the strings because of how I was strumming. Right. And I picked up bass, and for some reason, there's something about it that just felt so comfortable. Yeah, and yeah. I just I love the bass. I I really love that instrument. We need more love, you know. I know. Well, <laughs> I, I, guitarist, the singer. <laughs> I think it fits my personality too because I can. I'm kind of like a man of extremes. I can either be front and center and like in your face, and like I want all the attention, or I could just sort of like chill in the background. I'm sort of like leave me alone. And I feel like with the bass player, you can kind of 
get best of both worlds depending on your mood, you know? Whereas, right. like, if you're playing lead guitar, you're front and center every solo. Obviously, if you're the front man, you're front and center. Drums are, you know, I, 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 I just do not have the stamina or the coordination for <laughs> <laughs> for drums. So. Right. I tried that, too. Um, yeah, no, the bass is easier to practice in any setting than the drums. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My cousin plays the drums and he's really, really good. He has like a whole room set up, but you have to have a big room set up for it. When <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, as heavy as a bass can plea, uh, can plea, I said, as, as heavy as a bass can be, it's mm -hmm. never going to be as heavy as a drum set. So <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I know my first bass yeah. was—I still have it. I love it. It's beautiful, but it's a monster. It's so heavy. It's a Fender American Standard jazz bass. Yeah, and it's I, just really heavy. Yeah, I had—I was going to ask you uh, if you uh, what bass you play. I have a—it's um, uh, a combo of a Fender Precision and Fender jazz bass, Ooh. and it has a—it's—it's uh, it's a beautiful guitar. It's like candy apple red body with like a gold uh pickup and uh and i love how it plays but it's not the lightest guitar <laughs> right. yeah and i remember when i bought it when i first was learning bass the guy said oh but you want a heavy bass because it has better tone and that's <laughs> true but you also want yeah. to, be able to carry it without falling over <laughs> well it's funny Cliff Burden always played, uh, not always, but oftentimes he played the Rickenbacker bass. So growing up, I was always like, that's the bass I want. That was like my dream bass. And I went to uh, a store somewhere and they had one. So I'm like, it, you know, it was too expensive for me to buy at the time. But I was like, I, I have to at least play it. Mm -hmm. I picked it up and I was like, holy crap, this is heavy. I was <laughs> like, I cannot imagine putting a strap on, being on stage, playing this, never mind like, you know, doing the cliff burden of like head banging and fingers flying. I was like, this is heavy. I was like, I'm not sure. I mean, I would get used to it, I guess. I'm a bigger guy too, but I'm like, I, I'm not sure if I could, uh, <laughs> if it would be comfortable to play a show with. I was sitting down playing. I was like, this is still heavy and uh, like awkward after playing right. the, after playing my Fender for so long. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I also, a few years ago, I got an Epiphone and it's so much lighter. Yeah. So it, it wasn't as uh, fancy a bass, I guess, but it is a lot lighter. I was surprised at the difference just holding, you know, the two next to yeah. each other. Are you someone who likes to do the five string, six string, get all fancy like that? No, I'm like a, Growing up, I took bass lessons, and my teacher was a very, uh, like, old-school, traditional, uh, like, jazz musician. And so, like, I kind of – and he was not a, a bass player himself. He could he could play bass and stuff, but he was – you know, it was not his go-to uh, instrument. And so he sort of taught me how to be, like, a good, functional bass player. So I mm -hmm. never got into, like – like anything with more than four strings. I never really got into like uh, the slapping and all that. Uh, like you mentioned Les Claypool before. I never really got into that style of playing. He, but he would teach me like, you know, this is how, if you want to be like a working musician, mm -hmm. this is how like your best way to like, you know, get a job is knowing how to do X, Y, and Z. Or if you want to be, um, 
and, and I found that too. I went when I went to college. Uh, I went to college for music, and I was, uh, you know, playing in various bands. And I remember um, my uh, first year at college, there was this uh, band and who had a bass player already, and the bass player was, you know, technically phenomenal. He could play circles around me, uh, but every song he would, you know, be up and down the neck and flying and doing his own thing. And we're like, and they would tell him like, dude, we just need you to calm down and like, you know, mm-hmm. walk in with something with the drummer and let's get a rhythm section going and like, just like calm down back there. And they're right. and so they were sort of looking for somebody new and I was able to just come in. And I mean, what I played all the time was not the most exciting stuff, but it got me the gig because I could keep time. I could lock yeah. in with the drummer. I could play my roots, play my fives, do the little fills when I needed to. And, and, and it, I basically was taught to be a bass player who uh, knew their role, so to speak, within uh, a group of musicians. So for that, I'm thankful. But I definitely never got into like the crazy bass playing, which part of me wishes I had. But <laughs> I wish I could pick up and just, you know, fly up and down the neck and do all the slapping and popping mm-hmm. and all that. But it was just not uh, it's just not my background. Yeah, no, I used to always really wish I could slap and pop like Les Claypool or Flea was a big influence. I just yeah, I love his playing so much, but I could never really do it. I would just mute the strings. I would slap and not pop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just, I would just mute the strings. So I am, um, maybe I have to try that again someday, but I kind of gave up. It became very discouraging. So I was yeah. always, you know, into the more simple, just, just like you said, being in the pocket, keeping time, having yeah. the rhythm, that sort of thing. Yeah. I, and, and truthfully in most styles of music, I think that's what bands are looking for at the end of the day and even when you are a bass player with you know like a flea like a les claypool they can do all that stuff because they know how to do it at appropriate times where a lot of times they're still you know just locking into the groove and and working it out that way and and holding down the band as the foundation you know Mm -hmm. you gotta you gotta learn how you gotta know when to you know pull the trigger and when to just back off (laughs) right yeah (laughs) so what opportunities do you have to play bass is that something you do more for yourself at home or is that do you have any other projects where you uh play bass or yeah well now i definitely do it at home because of (laughs) (laughs) well yes (laughs) i've never yeah i've never really been in a band as a bass player i'll play at home um i'll play it unplugged a lot even though i just have an electric and i've got an amp but a lot of times i'll play it unplugged and i've done open jams and stuff like that which is fun and just go especially when it's like blues type songs and just do a blues jam and i enjoy that but i always wanted to be in an all-girl band as the bass player (laughs) (laughs) i always wanted that so maybe one day i i think as soon as the you know, this is over, you go out there and you do it. Why not? Right. I, I guess. I mean, once people are allowed to get shows again and everything. <laughs> I know. I mean, I always just thought that would be a lot of fun just to kind of be in the background, holding down yeah. the bass, all girl bands. Who are some of your biggest influences either for 
um, songwriting or for performance, either vocally or um, as a bass player? What kind of music did you grow up listening to? And I know that's sort of a really open-ended question, but... <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I grew up listening to just musical theater and opera, really, so... Any favorite I, shows or composers? Yes, I mean, my my favorite... I mean, Andrew Lloyd Webber, I think, is hard to beat. Mm -hmm. So, Phantom of the Opera, all those big blockbuster ones, um, Evita, Jesus Christ Superstar, all the big Andrew Lloyd Webber shows and then on the other end um Les Mis and Miss Saigon those other shows from I forget the guy's name who did it but um <laughs> non-Andrew Lloyd Webber blockbusters so I remember like as a kid I memorized Les Mis which is a three and a half hour musical I was obsessed yeah. memorized <laughs> and I used to sing Christine's parts all the time when I was 10 years old I was I was just obsessed with it. So Colm Wilkinson was the Phantom in Toronto and he was an early influence because he was just just a great singer and a great performer. Um, yeah. When it came to rock, like I have to admit, I heard post-grunge before I really heard grunge and I have no shame in admitting that I like post-grunge. <laughs> <laughs> so all those, you know, all the big post-grunge singers, that big sounding music, the Shinedown, Cedar, all that mm. stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, Maynard was always a big influence because, I mean, Tool and A Perfect Circle are epic. And he has yeah. such a great voice and such a, I mean, he's so mysterious and just has this amazing vibe. Obviously, I mean, they have a cult following. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, so, and then also, oddly, AFI, because they had some really gothic undertones, especially kind of in the middle of their career because they were super punk at first yeah. and, everything, and misfits, you know, inspired. And then in about 2002 or three was when Sing the Sorrow came out and it was super gothic. And I just loved that scary gothic kind of vibe and they're great live. So, um, yeah. And Judas Priest, like I mentioned, Iron Maiden right. when it comes to metal, Metallica. Yeah, you definitely had mentioned some before, but I was curious if, you know, what, because I know because you grew up with the classical and yeah. I was curious what else, like what specifics were out there. And I bet nobody thought at the start of this, we would end up talking about Andrew Lloyd Webber. So there you go. <laughs> we cover it all I, here. I think you're right. <laughs> I know sometimes my mom is like, I took you to see Phantom of the Opera and Cats at four years old. And now you're, you're in a metal band. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it obviously worked though because you would not be in that metal band without going to those shows potentially at you know four years old. So that was the catalyst for it all, right? And I mean, I think like you mentioned, there's a lot of relationship between classical and metal, and I think music is music, and Agreed, yeah, it just you know I fell in love with music at a young age. It's so funny because I don't know what the case is with you, but most people say that I got into rock music because my parents played it all the time. And it's so funny because I literally heard no rock music. <laughs> <laughs> they were just too busy though. They weren't against yeah. it. They weren't crazy people saying you can't listen to it. They were just too busy to have it on. <laughs> yeah. I had two older brothers, which I think helped me get into a lot of different stuff uh, because I would hear, 
what they were listening to, or they would have like, you know, the local radio station on, or they'd have MTV on. Um, so I remember seeing, even though I was like in first grade when it was coming out, I remember, you know, seeing like the smells like teen spirit music video when it was new and the injure Sandman music video when it was new. And, and, and I mean, once I got into Metallica at a young age, even though I thought they only had one album, you know, for throughout <laughs> elementary school, um, it, you know, from that was really the beginning of everything else for me, you know? So um, it, I, I think that's how I got into metal and hard rock, but my mother was always playing, uh, you know, various music, whether it be, uh, you know, Elton John or um, Jesus Christ Superstar or, uh, mm-hmm. You know, she had a pretty wide range, a lot of it in the rock pop world. And it's funny because when I was a kid, I really was not interested. And now as I got older, like my, you know, my parents will come over to visit and I'll be playing. My mom will be like, what, this, this is all the songs you grew up with. I'll be, you know, I'm playing Elton John and Beatles and mm-hmm. everything I sort of got, uh, I kind of took for granted because it was my mom's music, you know, and now mm-hmm. I've, I, I appreciate it on a different level now. Oh, cool. Yeah. A few little wrap up questions here. These might be the most uh, hard hitting questions I ask you. So oh, boy. been warned. I'm going to okay. put you on the spot. Okay. Favorite Metallica album. Okay. The black album. Okay. Is there, why? Is there, you know, Ride the Lightning, I like as well, yeah. but because of nothing else matters. <laughs> the Black <laughs> Album. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely at the top of my list because that was, like I just said, that was like the first album of theirs I knew existed. And for a long time, I thought it was the only album that existed. <laughs> so uh, that for, I, I think it's a great album. Obviously, it has tons of legendary songs like Nothing Else Matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, that's near the top of my list as well because. Uh, I often wonder if I did not hear that album, would I have ever gotten into rock? And if wow. I never got into rock, would I have played bass and been in bands and done this right. and done that? And and now, um, and now, like where I'm, like so much of my life is just connected to music. Like uh, I'm a music teacher uh, as my day job, so you know, like everything I do, I feel like stems from kind of discovering that album, discovering this band, hence my nerdy podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know your awesome podcast. And I know some people say, oh, it, w- it was commercial or whatever, but I don't, I just, I but think you, it's a great album. And I love what? the fact it introduced yeah. more people to Metallica. Yeah. And, and you know what? I think it's maybe more commercial because of like how it's produced. And, you know, there are, songs like nothing else matters that appeal to a wider audience maybe but then you have you know sad but true which is a massive hit but is an incredibly heavy song mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then you have you know the some more thrashers mixed in there whether it be holier than thou or through the never or the struggle within like the mm-hmm. the core of what people enjoyed about the first four metallic albums are still there it's just streamlined in a different way for people to consume i feel like yeah no i think that's a great point all right i have a couple more hard-hitting questions favorite metallica song maybe you've already mentioned it with nothing else matters <laughs> yeah nothing that's else the matters. favorite yeah. yeah that's my favorite but i mean there are a lot of good their ones. second favorite 
Oh my gosh. I don't know. I told you these were going to be hard hitting. I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I, I mean, maybe the unforgiven quality quality. I approve. <laughs> um, now this one, uh, you know, I, I don't want to put you in a tough spot because of your, uh, of your job, but favorite Metallica member, I'm making you choose a favorite. Oh man. Uh, I mean, they have their charm. I would. I'm. I'm thinking between James and Robert. Oh, okay. Probably, I mean, I guess. I guess I have to go with James, just because you know <laughs> it, it's James, and I'm, yeah, he's. I think he's been real honest with the fans about everything that he's yeah. always like gone through in life, and he's been with the band obviously, you know, forever. And yeah, I think I'll go with James. He is, uh, if if I could choose one person to meet that I have not met, it would definitely be James Hetfield. I've had opportunities um, through various things to meet uh, Lars briefly and to meet Kirk briefly and to meet Robert briefly. Um, and they were all great, super chill, super nice uh, for, you know, like the 30 seconds I had with them. Uh but James has always escaped me beating him. <laughs> and he's very, um, in recent years too, he's become a lot more private. So it's a lot harder to kind of uh, meet him. Like even if you uh, get a meeting greet pass through the fan club, he no longer, he chooses not to, to, to uh, not take part in those anymore. I think he's just a, very focused on, his family and his health, which yeah. I, I got to respect. So, yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate the fact that Metallica has been laying low this year on shows and everything for him. Yeah. I think I mean, they can't play now because of the whole <laughs> pandemic, but like even before the pandemic broke, I really like that about Metallica. You can tell they care about each other because I can think of some other bands where they had members who had gone to rehab or whatnot. And they just kept, you know, wanted wanted to be back out there right away. And I like the yeah. fact that Metallica has let James do his thing and take care of himself. Yeah, and then I think, too, to bring it full circle, it stems from, you know, what you see in the some kind of monster movie and going through that whole thing at during that period of time. I think now, having lived through that, they know that, hey, we got to take a step back and let him do his thing and take care of himself mm -hmm. if we want to still be a band and Right. To still be able to make music and play shows, which mm -hmm. it, it, I think the uh, one of the things I admire most about this band is that after all these years, they still seem to have like a a, a legitimate passion um, and love for what they do. Right. I agree. They really do. You can tell when you see them live. Yeah. Um, I saw them on their Worldwide tour last year, and they just had so much passion. Yeah. My I, my wife was saying because I brought her uh, she's to I've I brought her now to a handful of shows, and she was saying every time I see them, you would never guess that they have played Inter Sandman at every single show since <laughs> 1991 because they never <laughs> seem like they're going through the motions or like every time they're playing that song you know their biggest song that they've played you know <laughs> however trillion times. Right. They are, you know, 
they never seem like they're just like comfortable going through the motions. Oh yeah, let's play the hit song again. It yeah. always seems like the first time they're playing it. And as and I was like, for somebody kind of bought, like who's not a, a biased diehard like myself to notice, that, I was like, I was like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's so true. So thank you so much for coming on Metallicast. I hope that this is the first of many future visits. Thank you. I'd love to come back. I had so much fun. Uh, please tell us where everybody can find you online and find your music. Oh, thank you. Well, my music is at uponwings.com. And my name is Ann Erickson. So, <laughs> so if you go to Twitter, it's just Ann Erickson, which is A-N-N-E-E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. My, my social handles are all different. So actually, if you want to know all like Instagram, all that stuff, just go to itsmeann.com and it's all up there because I couldn't get the same handle for everything. So it's yeah. all up on itsmeann.com. <laughs> That's the thing that sucks. Everything's taken now, right? So you I, know, to... <laughs> I know, I <laughs> know. Yeah, Thank you so much for having me on. It was so fun. Of course. it's The pleasure is all mine. Um, it was great talking to you. Like I said, I love uh, meeting new people and having cool conversations and uh, I think you come from a really unique perspective for my listeners because not only are you a musician, but you are, you know, you've had the opportunity to uh, interview bands for your work and whatnot. So I, I think everybody will really get a, a kick out of everything that you have to share with us. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'm going to ask you a favor. I'm going to put you on the spot one more time and okay. you do not need to do this, but okay. I'm going to ask. Okay. So, I end every episode with a tagline, do my best James Heffield impression. Oh my I God. Go, Ladies and gentlemen, till next time, middle up your ass. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm wondering, would you be willing to do the tagline for us? Oh my gosh. With your best James Heffield impression. So I would love to, but I just, I think I'm gonna. I I don't. I, <laughs> I think I'm a little child, and <laughs> maybe next time I'll be prepared. I'll have. I'll practice. I'll practice. I'm gonna hold you to that. So you heard it here first. Next time Ann Erickson comes on Metallicast, um, <laughs> she will do her best James Hetfield impression. Um, oh, one more thing before we sign off. Um, you mentioned you have a podcast. Please let people know what the podcast is and where they can find it. Oh, thank you. It's called Audio Ink, and you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. It's ink like tattoo ink. So you can find it the same place you find Metallicast. So make sure you subscribe and download both of them. And please follow Metallicast on social media at Metallicast Bottom, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So I will do the tagline, but next time, and <laughs> next time. Okay. Deal. Metal up your ass. Yeah. Awesome. Good job. Fans not experts.